today on the Button Up Podcast, we have Tim from Case Back Watches coming over to us from Europe. How are you, Tim? How are you? Thanks. I'm great. Thanks for the invitation. It's a very, very exciting moment for me. First time in a podcast. And yeah, what what you want to hear from me? Well, I, I know you. you from analyzing other watch YouTubers and from... Ah, yeah, the analyzing series, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and from uh, the best watches in porn. And uh, okay. But I want to know about uh, younger Tim. Where where did younger Tim start to get an appreciation for watches and dressing well and music? Yeah. Oh, this is a long story and started in the office. I'm from Germany, as you said, and I am a print journalist. A print journalist, and I work for local news, so so to speak. And I'm a part-time musician in a 30s swing band and dedicated to the big Django or the great or the grand Django Reinhardt. Wow. And there it started a little bit with my tendency to fashion and vintage style. And the first thing were shoes. And then came the yeah the vintage fashion. And then some years ago, I started to, uh, to look into watches. Mm-hmm. And really exciting topic for me. And um, and at this this point of time, I think we're talking 2000, um, 2012. I've started to be more in the fashion and the fashion in the German fashion world with some context here and there. And then um, two years ago, two, about two years ago, I decided that I'm, I'm very comfortable with my job as a print journalist, but I wanted to be a little bit I wanted something more. I mean, you are in your job how many years now on YouTube? Five years? Yeah, 2015 is when I first started. 2015, yeah. And I'm in my job now for uh, 15 years as a print journalist. And then I decided I need something fresh. I mean, I love that job. Don't get me wrong. I really love that job being a print journalist. But I felt that I'm too deep in my comfort zone. And and the the job is easy for me now, and so I decided I need something fresh, I need something new, and and I need something really complicated and difficult, and nearly impossible. And then I looked at my history, at my at my at my at my life, and what what do I know? Well, I do I know a lot of about music, and about fashion, thirty vintage fashion, and about wristwatches. And at then time uh, those times I was on YouTube, um, following other YouTubers like the Urban Gentry and other channels. And then I thought, okay, this might be something for you. But it's incredibly hard for you. And you know why? Because my English, for example, wasn't in existence. And I had no experience at all with social media, with camera technology and editing software and all those topics. So it was a really, really hard challenge for me. And I really liked that idea. I really liked that idea. This is close to impossible to do this and so I gave myself three months preparation and told myself okay you have to start a YouTube channel in three months and in the first year I want you to gain 1,000 subscribers this was the first target there and so so it started roughly so it started roughly 2017 yeah and now Casebeck Watches has 7,000 subscribers so in comparison to you great channel I'm a very little person here but I'm really satisfied with that Really satisfied with the situation right now. No, that's actually incredible growth. So your English was very limited prior to the channel? Very limited. I mean, in Germany, every school kid has English in school, but we call it school English, right? You cannot do pretty much with that. You can read some articles, but um, sitting in front of a camera, I mean, this is really, really tough. And so I attended some some classes for adults to, to, to brush up the language, which was pure fun, by the way because I was there over 40 years old, 
and I was in school back. I was back in school with the desk in front of me, with the teacher in front of me, with questions. And yeah, but it was really fun. It was a funny experience for me. And it worked. I did it two, two times, two weeks. And yeah, worked pretty much. And I was really happy with that. And then the next topic then was camera equipment. And, and I had some experience as a musician. You are trained to, to play on stage. You are trained to perform. But um, you're not prepared to stare into a camera lens without an audience and without without anybody. And so this was special. And then I, I experimented with an iPhone and with an iPad and with other solutions. Nothing worked. And then I bought a proper camera. And now I'm I'm slightly happy with that solution I have now. But yeah, this was a good, quite a journey. But um, until now, it's pure fun. I mean, I'm on air now for one and a half year, 7,000 subscribers as and as I said, I'm really happy with that. And it's, uh, it's pure fun for me. I'm learning every day. And yeah, it's a great time. Yeah. And what I really like in your videos, especially the analyzation series, is you say at the beginning, you know, you will talk about facts, but when you put in your opinion, you will say that you are giving your opinion. And, and I realize that now comes from your journalism background. Yes, of course, because you have to, you have to, you don't have to reveal your source, but you have to reveal where it comes from. Right. You don't have to tell the name of the people who, who give you information, but you have to tell the audience this is confirmed information. You can check it by yourself, especially in today's climate. We all know this, that journalism, especially print journalism or oh, no, this is bullshit, online journalism as well, <laughs> is some sort of under pressure because they we all know this fake news thing. And so, of course, I'm very careful with it. And but in my opinion, this is um, this is a sign for, for good work. Um, now and 10 years ago and 100 years ago as well. This is a sign for good work if you if you stay stick to the facts. And I mean the speculations, of course, speculations, speculations are important because you want to entertain people at the same time, so you make some interpretations, speculative interpretations, and this is yeah, the salt in the, in the soup then. Yeah, that's very true. And I actually, I, I'm going to use a line like that in one of my upcoming videos, and uh, I have you to thank for it, because I'm doing a video on... Uh, a shoe company and I'm saying like look there are most of this is fact but I'll tell you when I'm kind of giving my opinion on, on the side because uh, oh. I, I really like that separation yeah okay very 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 cool and I was inspired by your channel as well because you have this you are very bold with your your uh, no connection to any sponsorship and I really love to hear this because we have other especially in the watch world you have all those people who run very good channels but at the same time they're dealers they're salesmen and some of them, they're very open to that. And some of them, they're uh, a little bit fishy. And so I really like that, that you say, I'm independent here. And I, I, I robbed that, by the way. So thank you <laughs> as well, because I have this independent content sticker on my on my homepage. And this is exactly that. Be bold with your, your yeah. Exactly. Your, yeah, I get a lot uh, of good feedback about that. So now you started off, you said vintage shoes was your entryway into fine clothing. Yeah, vintage, uh, not vintage, especially the classic shoes, let's say. So uh -huh. this classic Oxfords and Derbys. And I was I was the same as everybody, the, the sneaker jeans and T-shirt guy. And But then I bought myself my first pair of shoes. I think I was, oh, it was a little bit embarrassing, but I think I was 22. I was <laughs> relatively old. And I bought my first pair of shoes and realized then the difference and and decided, okay, from now on, you wear those shoes and similar good shoes, no more sneakers anymore. And from that, I came to 
to a first um, shirt. I throw away, uh, threw away all my T-shirts and then I, I wear shirts. And then I started the band and then I was in constant need on stage. Uh, you have to dress dress up for that for that job, right? And you have to dress up your, your mates because they uh, sometimes they don't have a sense for that. And so this was a very intense time to, to, to buy and and find proper clothing for, to perform 30 years um, swing, swing jazz on stage. And this was the foundation, I guess. As you started to do that, did you notice something change about either the way you were treated or did you feel better? Like what was, dramatically, what was the journey? Dramatically, but this was later. Um, it started with shoes, then dress shirts, and then I uh, bought my first suits, and 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 then I was a little bit, uh, I don't know, a little bit extremistic about it, and so I started to wear ties and 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 every accessory you can imagine for in classic menswear, and the change was dramatically, as I said, as a treatment in restaurants and hotels and and at my job especially. I mean. I make local news, but it's from time to time I'm in contact with high officials, for, with politics and and with entrepreneurs and very rich people and very important people, and the treatment was 100% different, absolutely. So I can I can really say that this thing, this this habit to dress up, uh, changed everything. Changed everything. I I earned I think two good promotions with that. I mean, it wasn't the main reason, I think, I hope, <laughs> but it was one of the reasons. I think that people saw me differently and it helped me a lot. But the most important thing for me was that I could I could watch my images, images from me, and I could enjoy this. I mean, if you're, as a jazz musician, if you're on stage, then people film you, people take images of you all the time, and then it's very comfortable if you are are comfortable with your outfit, with your with your wardrobe, and so yeah, short short answer, <laughs> short answer it changed my entire life dramatically. No, that's excellent. That's something that you. It's a consistent thread through any guy who dresses well is that they say they found the power in appearance, and that's what they leveraged, and then it's, it really changed your life. I it's my same story yeah. too, you know. Yeah. So. And then you did you perform? Since you were a child, when did you start to perform uh, either you know, publicly or professionally? Yeah. Um, no, this was later. I, I played um, contemporary jazz, and there you cannot perform really because it's a really small niche, and it was more as a hobby. But um, seven years ago, I founded Duke and Dukies, and this is the swim band I'm, I'm talking about. And this thing went to another level then because people enjoyed really this vintage style. I mean... We're one of the few bands who really played music by Django Reinhardt in this in, in this group with three guitars and double bass and violin and everything and everything is very pure and and, and original. And now we're playing since two thousand yeah since seven years seven years ago we started and now we play let's say twenty to twenty five shows a year because we have all family we have all day jobs and everything and. Since then, since then, I'm on stage every month, let's say two times, and yeah, I'm really enjoying this. Really, really nice part of my life. It's fantastic. Do you do live shows and also studio recording, or, or mostly live? No, mostly live. We have one record out on Bandcamp. You can find it. It's called Django Holics, um, but this was a project with a lot of work. And in today's climate, the live shows are more important, are much more important. When it comes to kind of reaction from the from the audience, 
So most people in our audience, they are not necessarily diehard swing fans, but they want to see they want to see guys, young guys on stage playing that music and not like the museum or not like those old folks in a bar. They want to see some energy and some action. And that's exactly what we deliver with, with this band. 30 years style, but with without any any uh, any signs of death in it. <laughs> so to speak. I love that. What do you play? Guitar. I play guitar. I have now a video out, a new one, and there you can see me playing a hidden outro. I do this from time to time that I have, I have, I have a video with a, with a topic which is pretty um yeah down to earth and then when i when i see okay this is a little bit too dry then sometimes i play hidden outro and the people really love that and they will play the tune noir which is french for clouds written by django reinhardt and yeah this is the salt and the soup on caseback watches as well so the music is always a nice addition for the channel yeah i never realized that do you are you open to scoring other youtubers videos <laughs> um what do you mean with scoring Scoring, like uh, doing the soundtrack or, or doing. Uh... Okay. Oh, no, no. It's, it, this is so, I, it would be an honor sometimes, but it's so much work. You cannot imagine how much work it is to to produce a good track with with, with good audio, with, with CD quality. And no, unfortunately not. My time is limited for that. I'm happy when I, when I, when I can play something for case big watches because i'm really occupied with a band where i have to learn all the time new arrangements and and sometimes i find a weak spot that i cannot play something live pretty good and then i have to have to train like 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 an athlete for that this is this is always a always a challenge i have to play my you know, let's say 15 20 years uh, 15 20 hours guitar in a week every week so this is yeah, necessary mandatory no, I'm just curious. I'm I'm in the middle of a like major major video project, and as I'm doing it, I'm like, wow, it'd be nice to have some custom music. But uh, I I used to do like little jingles for YouTube videos when I worked oh. at a law firm in marketing, so I definitely know the the struggle of trying to create quick little things for uh, for some kind yeah. of video. But and what source do you need, uh, or do you use for your music? I was just using GarageBand. I was using like the software. Uh, uh -huh. software instruments and so i do a little bit of guitar a little bit of drums just to make little jingles for intros and outros oh, okay in, in some of the videos uh, yeah but even the even those little jingles are a lot of work i guess yeah yeah i'm i'm now i'm now and now i have a i'm a subscriber of epidemic sounds i don't know if you know them mm -hmm. and they're of a great quality especially for youtubers and so you pay your 13 bucks a month and then you have a flat line um for for every tune you want and with very good quality and everything, this is this is the way to go if I don't have enough time to produce something myself. And but yeah, works works pretty well. But um, I think music really is important for for YouTube and for my channel especially because it's yeah, it adds something, really adds something. For me, audio quality was always more important than video quality. I've realized that by um, um, reviewing my own videos here um, without audience, of course. Yeah, very important. But I really like on your channel is this insane editing. And I have one question. Do you all edit or do you edit your your videos entirely yourself or do you have help for this or how can? The first this... 475 videos I made for my channel, I did entirely myself. And then okay. I dabbled with uh, an animator. So the Swatch video that I did, the history of Swatch, that was the first time I worked with a friend who is a, an animator. And then oh. once I left my day job in September of last year, 
that was when I started to ramp up working with an editor so that I could focus on shooting the videos, researching the videos, and then I could send yeah. him all the footage and then oh, get the this. editing back. But a lot of that was he had he had known my channel and he oh. knew my visual style and how I you know how I like to put the videos together. And so it's very tough to see, even for me, to see a difference between a video that I edited in the past and a video that he's editing now. Oh, but this must be heaven, right? It I is. Mean, I I, I, use, uh, I need sometimes six hours to, to edit a video. It's insane. I mean, I'm really slow with that. But or, or, yeah, maybe I'm faster now, but it is a, le a lot of work, in fact. And so it must be heaven to have somebody else <laughs> who does that work. Yeah, great. Really, really great. I was impressed also. Uh, it's a pity that Brock isn't online. I was impressed by his channel and this great name together with the sheer size of his channel. I mean, the modest man and, and all the videos <laughs> about smaller people. And then you see 220,000 subscribers and such and such million of views. And so I was really impressed. And so re really great channel. Oh, yeah. We can we could talk up Brock all day. I, I reached out. The way this podcast came about was that I emailed Brock when I think I had 4,000 subscribers. And he had, oh, okay. he had maybe 25,000 subscribers. And uh, that was a little bit, a little over two years ago. And uh, ever since then, like the it's you can kind of listen to us becoming friends over time in the podcast because oh. we didn't know each other. We started this podcast, and now we've just done it. You know, we talk to each other every week for the past two years. And uh, I can just say that he's a very genuine guy. He's honest, and he's one of the best out there, which is why I keep talking to him. So. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. I've checked some of his videos, and especially those videos where he pointed out sponsorships and the difference between uh, different forms of sponsorship. That is, it, it is not all the same. It was very helpful for me. But you, you don't work with sponsors at all, right? I do have some that I've worked with more now that the channel has grown. But I always, oh. in, in the way that you discern the line between opinion and fact, I will always do, you know, any review of mine is never sponsored or anytime I'm recommending a product, I will never have a sponsor associated with that. Uh, recently, oh. I've like even just today, I put up a video which is comparing uh, the Omega Seamaster 300 meter to a Ulysse Nardon diver. And I'm doing that in a partnership with a online dealer. And so that oh, one okay. is more of like, you know, I'm comparing watches or uh, last week I did the video on James Bond's watch style yeah I've, I've seen this yeah yeah, yeah that well, was one i did i had and so that was me working with a brand that can get me access to the watch and then so it's like i i try to discern between like if i'm reviewing something or if i'm giving my opinion there's no sponsorships mm -hmm. but if i'm doing something like educational like i did a video on uh, suit separates and talking about how to pair suits different colors materials like that video was sponsored yeah. because it's educational so that's how i try to to walk oh, the okay. line yeah but, but but it's a good way i think it's a good way doesn't doesn't ruin your brand and but gives access to certain certain products and certain topics yeah it's a good way and i'm in the lucky position now i don't have to earn one single euro or one single us dollar with with caseback watches because i have my day job obviously and so now i'm i, I think this may change in, in the future but now i'm very free to do crazy stuff like um yeah the perfect watch for porn i mean the the google algorithm hates this video only because of the title of course and the numbers are not so good but um, certain groups on in the audience really love that video because it's 100% comedy of course nothing to do with with real porn yeah but this is, this is fun and do you feel um, you're you're full-time on YouTube as I understood right you make yeah. your 
and you have three kids in a few days. Yes, third is Am I correct? imminent. Yes. Yeah, and you want four. I've seen I've seen this video uh, together with your with your wife. Uh, about yeah. Four, four. Wow. But this is a lot of pressure then, right? I mean, the YouTube business has to has to grow and has to run then to sustain a family with with four kids. I, what do you think about that? Yeah, in 2017, I reached a point. It was in May where I realized, like, if we cut back on some of our expenses, I could leave my job, spend more time with my family, and put more time into the YouTube channel, which then it would hopefully grow. And oh. uh, I basically spent that summer, like, paying off debts. Uh, closing a couple of deals at work so I could get the commission and get all that stuff taken care of, setting up like a business entity and bank accounts and everything. And then I left in September. Uh, I, I knew in May that I wanted to put my two weeks in on my birthday and I ended oh. up doing it. And then I left and uh, yeah, it's definitely different. Like I have other friends that have done, have made that type of leap in their wives, like work and their wives work and they oh. get insurance through their wives work. But the pressure was even higher on me because my wife doesn't. And that was a decision that we, yeah. we made a long time ago, but uh, no, it's so far so good. And like, I've spent more time with my family than I oh, okay. ever have, which was probably the biggest one. And like, now that I'm looking at having the third child, I'm looking at taking like an actual month to six weeks off of doing anything with the channel to take like actual paternity leave, which I've never oh, been okay. able to do with the past two. And so I also am not really reliant on YouTube AdSense or ad revenue. The way I've done this all through like affiliates and things, it, it all is very oh. automatic. And so oh, okay. I've hedged my bets as best I can. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's really interesting for me to hear this because maybe you know, never say never maybe i'm in the same situation or it would be would be a dream if i could be in the same situation as you but so i'm very interested in uh, hearing about about the difficulties and the and the yeah the milestones so to speak and by the way this was exactly the reason why i've invented the analyzing series because in, in the beginning of casebook watches the first videos nobody watched them nobody watched them i mean this was a really tough start i think for every everybody on youtube and then I decided I need some I need some noise here. I need a I need a bang, and then I've made that 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 video about Vladimir Putin, because the idea behind this, of course, was let's grab um, a sort of dictator with a weakness for watches and kick him in front of the audience. And I thought <laughs> this is this is great news. This is breaking news. And yeah, but nobody watched it. This was this was really crazy. And then I thought, okay, we need another thing. We need something else. And then I've chosen the Dalai Lama, which was, I mean, the Buddhist monk with a weakness for Rolex and Patek Philippe. It's a crazy story, I thought. But no, nobody watched it. Nobody watched it. Really, really crazy. And I thought, guys, what's wrong with you? This is, this is interesting. This is interesting storytelling here. But nobody watched it. What was the and way I, in those first couple of videos that you were trying to get the word out? Was it through your own personal network or were you trying to post them on forums? Um, I've just tried um, forums. I was I was the member um, of What You See, if I recall correctly, and some German boards. And of course, I posted, uh, I contact everybody I know that I have this channel and I have this interesting video. And then I had my first, what was it, 50 subscribers. <laughs> so this was this was a little bit stony, a little bit frustrating. But um, then I've decided, I've, or I, I saw the, the, the first analyzing videos and I realized this is um, yes, not working, but I like the form. I like the form. I mean, let's be honest, analyzing people, this is writing a portrait or producing a portrait about a person, no? right? This is the oldest form in journalism um, in human history. 
but I like the title and I like the the combination of entertaining and a little bit in-depth information. But I realized I need a YouTuber. I need a YouTuber to analyze him and then let's see what happens. And I wanted some strange, or let's not say strange, some bold characters with dark and shadow, uh, light and shadows. And then I've chosen Archie Luxury. I think you know him, right? Paul Pluta. Yeah, Archie, TGV, Christian. And TGV, exactly, because they're very opposite. TGV has his, is, is, is um, very... Uh, his warts? Say, yeah, very, very, very complicated character as well, but he's very good organized. He runs a brilliant watch channel, does really good work, and Archie Luxury is on the contrary. And the best thing for me then was they hate each other. They are in this fight since, I don't know, 2014 or 2015. And so I've produced videos about both, analyzing videos, and those videos brought in the first 1,000 subscribers. And so this was yeah, target reach after three months. By the way, back then I hadn't a clue if 1,000 subscribers is reasonable or is a big amount or is small. I had no idea. It was just a number for me, just just a target, which I read exactly with Archie Luxury and Tristano Veneto. Yeah, and those are some of the first videos that uh, actually I came across the Theo and Harris one because I've become friends with, with Christian over the past couple of years. And um, yeah. But your Archie Luxury one, I I spent a whole morning, I think it was right after I messaged you, just reading the comments in that one because he is such a fascinating <laughs> character. And everybody uh, has like a little bit of an opinion and a little bit of like an anecdote that they know about him. And like I mostly know him just through being a crazy guy, crazy yeah. sweaty guy on the internet. In, in reality, he is um, not that crazy. I was in contact with him several times via email and I, he's – not exactly 100% normal, but he's a family father with several kids and he brings his kid to school every morning. He pays his bill. And I think his situation is more in order than the public things. And so the Archie Luxury character really is a character. But Paul is, let's say, a special, special type. But to me, very, very kind, very friendly. And so, yeah, I really, really like that guy. But I must say, I like everybody who, who I've analyzed, except maybe Vladimir Putin and the Dalai Lama, because I wasn't in contact with that person. But what do you think about the Christian video? Yeah, Harris? There's a good caveat there, uh, Putin and, and the Dalai Lama. Uh, I thought you were right on with that one. And you know, he has had a lot of heat on you know the, the prices of his watches, and you definitely you pointed that out in like a very realistic way. And I know oh. he, he came in and kind of defended himself on that one too, but... Uh, I think it's interesting that he he plays more into the stereotype of young successful you person making money on YouTube than most because yeah, I've also exactly. watched him since he first started to have success on YouTube. He now shops uh, much higher end clothing and he's now doing a partnership with a very big watch company and is doing videos on Patek Philippe and everything and like to watch him go from selling. Seiko's on his website for a couple hundred dollars to oh. carrying like a Royal Oak and things is, I mean, you have to do something right in order to c continue that trajectory, which absolutely, absolutely uh, is fascinating. No, well, I respect him 100% for that. But the interesting thing was, um, um, yeah, he takes a lot of heat, and this was a new experience for me because after every analyzing video, I I receive a shitstorm. And sometimes it's um, rather small, let's say, 
um, Eric Rivera from CRM Jewelers. This there was a few were a few nasty comments about that video, but um, after let's say the producer Michael analyzing producer Michael video, wow! I received mails and hundreds of comments and really really um, nasty stuff. And um, yeah, this was this was completely new for, to me that you have to earn your um, let's say your clicks and your comments with those massive shitstorms. This was completely new. And the shitstorm um, after the Theo and Harris video wasn't in existence. This was really crazy to me. This is crazy to me. But I think I, the tone in the video is a little bit milder than, let's say, in the video of, of TGV, for example. What do you think? Was, it, was, I, was I aggressive in any way in that video? I don't think so. Or what do you no, think? No, I don't think you're aggressive in any of the videos, which is part of what draws me to you, I think, is because that's the tone that I like. You know, I started my channel because I couldn't find videos in a tone that I was appreciating, especially at the time. But, you know, it's interesting to watch, especially with TGV. Well, for one thing, YouTube rewards the kind of uh, digression in the comments because YouTube takes all of the signals of the thumbs up in the comments as, oh, people like this, that so pushes it out more. So you're kind of like, yeah. you kind of want that, that, uh, disagreement in the comments because then that helps push the video out. But uh, I think the way that you you analyze all of them is good, and especially with like TGV, if you, I think you did that right before you started working with Watchbox. But if you go to the Watchbox channel uh, after he joined them and did a video on them, he gets a lot. People are not happy with him on YouTube, and you also uh -huh. you're targeting people that have rabid fan bases in a way that other celebrities don't. Like you could trash talk Taylor Swift and you'd probably upset some people, but the way that the connection that people have with YouTubers is so much different and they're also native to the platform that you're discussing yeah. on and so that helps to draw the uh, the attention a little bit. And so it was an it was an ingenious move in order to, to find success on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you you're right with the with the difference of the audiences. I noted uh, I noted that I received two death threats after the video about um, CRM jewelers, about Eric Rivera. Very crazy. Whoa. That style, you will end in a trunk and shut death if you don't stop to, to do this. And uh, a little bit crazy because Eric was really happy with the video and yeah, was really, really enjoyed it. And the, the audience of, let's say, Paul Pluto, Archie Luxury, is very different to the audience of... of TGV, but TGV, I had the, I was under the impression that his audience is very young and um, very fan orientated. So if you ask a question, then they take this as some sort of criticism, which was completely new to me. That you cannot ask the question uh, without people pointing at you. <laughs> this is hate speech. What, what what he's doing there? So very very crazy. Crazy experience. I once heard this has stuck with me in a, in a big way. I was listening to a podcast, and the guys were talking about how when you're in your 20s, you get really upset if people don't agree with you or don't like the things you do, and you like tell them about it. And then as you enter your 30s, you start to care less what people think. And I can remember yeah. being young on YouTube. This would date myself to like 2007 2008 and watching videos on the playstation versus the xbox 360 and like okay. there were videos saying like how shitty the xbox was compared to the playstation and i would watch those videos and comment and like i can remember being in that mindset but now being having some distance from that and having matured a little bit i'm like if i see if i see digression in the comments i just kind of walk away whereas i can i know my my younger self i would have jumped in and kind of like been a little bit more uh 
a little bit more like a mosh pit. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah you definitely get that with the younger audience or yeah, yeah, I assume. Absolutely. And I see myself more as an, as a journalist. And if you are a journalist and you see something worth noting, or you see something which is, which is important for the public or entertaining for the public, then you tell the public, right? And if you're the public or, or single individuals, um, this don't like, then yeah, I cannot help them. But but this is this is the main the main role of a journalist to do something like that. And I was especially astonished when people um, said um, you're just jealous. This is the, the the number one argument on YouTube in my case. Um, you're just jealous that you cannot afford the the house of producer Michael, for example, or the the Rolls Royce of producer Michael. And this was for me um, this was completely new. This was completely new, but because what they wanted to tell me is that I'm not entitled, that I'm not entitled to analyze him because I'm not equal to him when it comes to money. And this was really, really crazy to to discover this, that people actually think that way. Crazy. Yeah, the Internet is a a scary place. Well, I'd be remiss, though, to not ask you as a watch channel about your watch collection and, and what got you started in the hobby. Ah, okay. Um, yeah. Um, when I started the hobby, it was, um, I think I wanted an accessory. I wanted a, a tank. I wanted a tank to, to, let's say, add to my stage outfit. And then I was really naive. I asked in some forums, what kind of tank should I buy? And I was close to buy a Giorgio Armani quartz movement watch for 40 or 50 euros so very insane move and then the people recommended to me of course the um reverso for 2500 bucks on the used market and i said guys are you crazy (laughs) i can't afford that i need some i need something to, to to show a little bit on on the stage i don't need this delicate watch but um then I was a little bit hooked, and then I found a Tissot. It was a Tissot Lisboa, and so Lisbon. And I have a connection to Portugal because we talk, we, we speak Portuguese here in my family. And so, and it was a lovely looking tank. And so I, I really thought, okay, this could be my first watch. And it cost me back then 400 euros. And at that time, I was a little bit broke, so I had to save for this ridiculous, slow, uh, low amount of money. And then I bought the watch, and this was it. This this was this was the, the the watch bug, and then it started. And then I was so fascinated by that watch that I thought I want another one. And then I saw a colleague of mine, which is um, yeah, let's call him a little bit. He's not so ambitious, and he showed off with a with a Rolex Oyster Perpetual, and then I thought, wow. Then I had the, the eye for the watch, and then I looked at the watch, and I thought, this guy has this watch. What's going on? I want myself a nice Rolex, but I want a Rolex Datejust. And this was very primitive, I must say, very primitive move. I just saw the watch on the other guy, and I wanted the same watch, but slightly better. This was it. And then I um, figured out that the watch I wanted was a vintage Rolex Datejust from the 80s. Reference 16030 to be <laughs> the watch geek here, and it cost me I think one one year to find the proper watch, and I bought that thing, and yeah, and then it was it was the end of the reasonable um, reasonable life <laughs> when it comes to watches, and then it was several years one of the evils flipper in 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 the in the city here or in entire Germany maybe, and I bought and sold over I think over 150 watches 
in three years, I think. Wow, three years quite, and a half. That's quite the escalation. Absolutely, absolute escalation. And and I'm not rich. I mean, I'm a really normal guy. I'm hardworking, but I'm not. I'm not rich. I have no family money whatsoever. And so I had to sell watches constantly to buy new watches. And but I've learned so much. And the first videos on Caseback watches then were were videos about fraud, and how to avoid fraud, and how to spot fraud, and some form of scams on, especially on eBay, on Chrono Twenty Four. And there I could speak from experience because I've seen them all, so those tricks. And I had to deal with criminals. I had the police in the house when I bought some uh, some some stolen watches without knowing, of course, that they were stolen. And this was my first watch knowledge was about the models and the crime around it. And yeah, and this was the beginning then. And since then, I yeah, I'm 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 still a flipper. I have my collection of seven or eight. Or ten, I don't know exactly. I think eight to ten pieces. But um, if I have something, something special, which I, yeah, which I'm not so super 100% comfortable, then I, I sell it constantly. But I enjoy this. I need something new every, let's say, every two weeks. And so, yeah, that's that's my 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 way to go in the in the in the watch scenery. Wow, and there really is no better education than going through that. Uh, which is why I like it's why I enjoy other channels where they can talk about you know so much of the things they've learned and I'm able to learn kind of through that. Now I'm really curious. You said so you sold on like Chrono Twenty Four and Joma Shop or you're you're buying through there as well? I bought always on on forums and on eBay and sometimes on Chrono Twenty Four, but not not I think two or two or three times. The normal the normal way is buying on YouTube, uh, buying on eBay and selling on Chrono 24 because 20, uh, Chrono 24 is the better place for high end or mid tier watches because it's um, the appearance is better. Everybody knows eBay as there you can buy your yeah, I don't know your your football or your socks or or uh, things for your daily life, but Chrono 24 is dedicated to watches and so the the prices are higher for the same watch on Chrono and the people. Um, rather willing to accept those higher prices on Chrono 24, and with every watch, I try to make a small, a small share, not big, but because sometimes you lose something, and this, I cannot afford um, losing 20 times a year a small a smidgen of, of of the price, right? And so I try to make some little money with every watch, and this is very easy on Chrono compared to to eBay, and of course the fees you pay 10% on. On eBay and six percent on Chrono. Right, everybody's gonna make their money. Yeah, and this is yeah, this is the way. And then um, of course, every watch, every watch guy has from time to time the idea: why not becoming a watch dealer? Because you have the knowledge, you know the people, you know how to maintain watches, you know you have contacts to watch um, watchmakers, and. But I decided, for me, it's not my cup of tea. To be frank, I'm not. I'm not comfortable hustling around. And I see, as I said, myself more as a journalist, who hasn't limited or unlimited funds, so he has to be a little bit careful. But I'm not a dealer, uh, in, in, in no way. That's yeah, great. Those, you can know yourself. Yeah, of course. This much more comfortable for me. Um, um, yeah, living this life as, as, as a crazy watch aficionado journalist and yeah, and and, and YouTuber by night. YouTuber by night, right. 
But let's see, I'm working in print, and we all know that print is under pressure. And the Caseback Watches, the whole YouTube thing was, of course, um, also an idea to have a plan B if the day job uh, went, went terribly wrong or goes terribly wrong then I need something in addition to maintain my family. And if it could be YouTube, maybe, but I'm more interested in all the contacts I, I have through YouTube and all the skills I, I can learn here. And so, yeah, this is definitely the plan, plan B. You had, a really, you had a really good job in the, in the retail industry, you told in Jordan's in one video. Am I correct? I wasn't, yeah, so I worked for a technology company that worked purely in retail and fashion companies. And so I got to work across the retail industry. So I actually spent a lot of time in Europe. Actually, Zurich is became like my favorite city in the whole world. I was oh, in Zurich okay. a lot for, for work, but I, I covered Europe for a while and I would bounce between France, um, Dusseldorf, uh, St Zurich, and London. And then I worked with a lot of companies in the U.S. as well. And so it gave me exposure to the merchandising, marketing, design, uh, and supply chain side of retail that I never would have had other for that. Yeah. So I was there for four years and had some really good deals, got a ton of experience. And then yeah. it was it was part yeah. partly a frustration with the company and their direction and also the fact that I had this great thing going on, on the side that uh, I could take a bet on. So. Yeah, yeah, but it's great, and you can hear this in in, in your videos that there's a, there's a profound foundation under the under the talk, and I really like this, and I I, I really I noticed this from you and other YouTubers. If somebody knows what he's talking about, because there are a lot of people who, yeah, make a lot of noise, but the foundation isn't there. <laughs> and after some videos, you can see this pretty pretty clear. Yeah, I really so, try, and that's one of the things. The thing I'm working on now, I got to tour two historic factories that create leather and shoes and like so for me now my next step is to go a level deeper than you know i got to see at a high level from very large companies but going in and seeing like all right how's the stuff made what constitutes good or bad it's very much like the watch world it's like the the sooner you open up a watch and understand the movement the sooner you yeah. you really start to click with it yeah yeah this must be great must be great this is a great variety out there if you see the manufacturing side, I'm, I'm highly obsessed with, with tailoring, with vintage couture tailoring. And so I know, and then shoemaking and all those, all, all those things. And it's always fascinating to me to see the tradition behind this and the craftsmanship and the pure knowledge gained over centuries. And then you have your shoe in your hand and the, the knowledge is in this product. It's really, really, really great, great thing to see this. So yeah, really good for you. It's, I think a great opportunity to travel around and see all those things. Really, really cool. Yeah, and that's actually one of the reasons I really like, you know, do you know the channel Sartorial Talks, Hugo Jacomet? Sartorial Talks, I'm not sure. No, I think I don't know this. He's channel. a uh, oh. Parisian gentleman, and he, he talks a lot about kind of the heritage shoemakers of the world, and um, he had a blog, I think it was a Parisian gentleman, that really launched the YouTube channel, and uh, so he might be one to help you with your... Uh, your musings on that sort of stuff but oh yeah we'll check that out thanks yeah. and the audience you know too everybody you know we forget sometimes yeah. that we're recording when we're talking <laughs> but yeah everybody yeah. should check out sartorial <laughs> talks uh, yeah, yeah. this is great this is great uh, sartorial talks here are more in the forums but then i discovered of course sven, uh, sven Raphael schneider oh, yes. from yeah from germany and the gentleman's gazette 
and this was a great source for me to see all those. He, he pulled out all this all this fashion illustration from the Vintage Esquire magazines by what was it, Lawrence Fellows, I think. And this was a great help. This was a great inspiration. And so, yeah, so cool guy. Maybe I should analyze Sven, Richael, uh, Sven Raphael <laughs> Schneider. I think, you, yeah, you get a lot of traffic. We had him on the podcast. That was a great episode. And then um, I had to do a Q&A with him on my channel as well. I've got to know him oh, okay. as well. Yeah, we'll listen to that. All right. He's a cool guy. It's very, very knowledgeable. Absolutely. So uh, there is a section of the podcast that we do called Rapid Fire Questions where it's like quick one or two word answers that we haven't prepared you for. Are you ready? Okay. Shoot. Oxfords or Brogues? Um, Brogues. Cardio or lifting? Um, cardio. Chinos, jeans, or trousers? Chinos. A morning shower or evening shower? Morning shower. Your favorite Bond actor? My favorite Bond actor was, okay, fasten your seatbelts, George Lazenby. Oh, great pick. <laughs> great pick. Uh, I have to tell you about my Honor Majesty Secret Service book that's, uh, that's in the studio here. Uh, loafers or sneakers? Uh, that's a tough one. Uh, in between, uh, loafers. Do you like notch lapel or peak lapel? Um, come again? A notch lapel on a suit or a peaked lapel? Um, it depends. I think, but let's, let's pick the peaked lapel. Peak, more classic, more like... More uh, special, more, more, more 20s, 30s. Yeah, yeah more love special, it. Definitely. And uh, if you're getting in the shower and you want to pump yourself up, what song are you playing? What song do we play? We play Dark Eyes. Dark Eyes, that's, that's what you're listening yes. to. All right. You survived the rapid fire questions. Okay, rapid questions. And what was the biggest milestone for your channel? What or what was the big bang for your channel where something went really, really crazy and really great? Uh, I'll answer first, and then well, you already answered with your with your analysis video. Um, I posted a video about pouch underwear, and in the first like six months, it maybe got like ten thousand views, like it did pretty well, and then in one weekend, it got a hundred and forty thousand views out of wow. nowhere. And all of the traffic was coming from like people's home pages. So YouTube was putting it on people's home pages. And okay. <laughs> like I started getting all these comments on my YouTube app and I was like, what the heck's going on? And uh, now that's my number one video. So okay, cool. continues to this day. Great. Really great. Yeah. People love the underwear videos on my channel. Oh, <laughs> the underwear video. Oh, why not? So my turn or your turn? I didn't get it. Oh, well, no, you had answered it. The big thing for you was was uh, the Archie ah, okay. and the okay. TGP you want video. Big question, and everybody has to answer them. Okay. Yeah. No, actually, okay. that's that's good. We we ask you the questions. You're the you're the guest here. Okay. Okay. Then. Well, so in the next, you know, it sounds like you got your bearings on YouTube, and you're kind of balancing the music and the personal life. Like, what are you most excited in the next six to twelve months? Oh, six to twelve months. Good question. Um... I'm most excited to be in contact with the people because I'm not exactly a traveler and it's so much fun and it's so exciting to 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 read all the comments and be in direct contact via email or telephone or Instagram. And so this is very special. I mean, I receive every day emails from Saudi Arabia and China and the United States. And so, so this is really exciting. This is really exciting. And I've met some people and yeah, we we stay in contact really. We're not close friends, of course, because we've never seen each other. But this is very special for me. To me, this is very, this is a really good part of it, and so I'm excited to meet more people on YouTube. 
It's excellent. Yeah, it is one of the best places to uh, to really reach across the globe. And so, well, we'd love to have you back on. Uh, we'll get you. We'll get Brock on here next time. He wasn't able to make it today, but we really appreciate okay. you coming on, Tim. And everybody could check out the Case Back Watches channel and, and pick one of those videos to start with. Yeah. Okay. Then thank you very much for having me. It was great talking to you. And yeah. Then until the next time. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.